Hey everyone, and uh, welcome to the Mary Media Podcast. Uh, today we are joined by Shab Sharma, but I think, uh, we'll call him that name right now. He has a full name, but uh, he can explain that. Uh, I was actually a guest on his podcast and his show, which, by the way, has like 170,000 subscribers or some crazy number like that. A bit less than that. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit, maybe 176,000, right? <laughs> but it's a, it's a growing podcast and uh, a YouTube uh, provider, a content provider that's been growing over the past year. And he's uh, actually, it's pretty a meteoric rise. And, and it's interesting because uh, Sham actually fills a gap in which I'm surprised like really no other Indian especially from India, has even thought to fill. So, Sham, um, before we get into your podcast and your YouTube content, can you give us a little bit of background on, like, who you are, where you came from, and, and how you got into all this? Yeah, yeah, for sure. First of all, man, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we're finally getting to do this. Um, so, I essentially, I was born in, uh, I was born in India, uh, in Bihar, and I was raised in Bihar. Then I did a little bit of my schooling, my high school in Delhi and my college in Delhi at Delhi University. And which house? You know, the, uh, what's that? Which house were you in? I was in uh, Hindu college. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was in Hindu college in DU. So I was, uh, and that's in a way informed where I am today as well. So I'll tell you why. Because so I always I come from a family that's very you know culturally aware. That's very aware of its culture. Very aware of its uh, cultural roots and they celebrated in my family so that I was I was fortunate enough to be brought up in that environment where even in a place like Delhi where you know a lot of other people in my school had no almost no cultural mooring like what they knew about India was just you know composite culture and India Pakistan games get really heated because then yeah. that's when you know the Indianness comes out but other than that what is India is basically you know just oh just composite culture and secularism and all that wonderful stuff so i was lucky enough to be raised by a couple of people who were you know acutely aware of uh, what what indians are as a culture and so when i was in delhi i kind of started thinking about these things a little more and when i was in delhi university uh, that's when it really started coming to force so if anyone knows anything about delhi university and hindu college is that hindu college is right across the street from another college that was uh, set up by the British called St. Stephen's. Right. And St. Stephen's is kind of the hotbed of the, you know, the Jola types, affluent Delhiites who just think that India has done nothing of note. There's nothing good about Indian culture and all Indian culture and in India is, is oppression and horribleness and, you know, the, the, the general talking points. Right. So when I, so I used to hang out with people from Stevens and this is all they would talk about. And I was like, this, this, there's more guys, right? That, that, that's not all that India is. Surely. I like, I understand you want to stand up for the little guy and all that. And I completely appreciate that. And I'm on board, but that can't be all that India is. Surely, you know that. And they're like, no, what else is there? And so I'd get into a couple of arguments every now and then with these people. And that's when I really started to think about uh, you know, maybe th there needs to be a voice from the other side as well that is presenting the other side of India's story too. Sure. And so that was just, but that kind of kept on going. I, you know, I just talk about it with my friends and my family, all these issues. And finally, when I came to the United States, I, I when I moved out of India, first of all, I went to New Zealand and I was in New Zealand. I would hear some 
crazy opinions about India, Indians, yeah. Indian culture. And I was like, what, where are you getting your information from? Sure. You know? And then I came to the US and it was the same thing. Like in India, obviously, there's a lot of misinformation. Uh, so I, I get where it's coming from. And then again, in the United States, it was the same thing. It's just the, the kind of notions that people had about India, particularly Hindus, was just some of it was absolutely insane. Sure. So I said, all right, I'm talking to this about my to my friends and my family. Maybe if I start talking to a camera, I, I don't know, maybe some people will listen, maybe people will not, but it'll help me get my thoughts out, A, and it'll at least help me feel a little bit less frustrated uh, because at least, you know, I'll think, all right, I'm listening to all this misinformation and it's frustrating me, but at least I'm getting my voice out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I have a couple questions, man. Yeah. Um, you grew up in Bihar. Where in Bihar yeah. exactly? Uh, Patna. Patna. Okay, so so I mean, you have a lot of uh, uh, viewers and followership in India. I have a few. Um, so you know, one of the big one of the big cultural issues in India or perception issues mm. is basically Bihar and Madhya Pradesh are like the backwards area of mm. of India, right? So. When while you were in India or were living in even Delhi or whatever, did you deal with any of that perception in, in oh, terms? Yeah. Of, and, and and like I mean, I think that's also important for us to understand. It's like India is not a, a conglomerate whole. There's so much diversity, and one of the one of the places is, is Bihar, and Patna is a, one of the most ancient cities in the world, right? Mm. Pataliputra is basically Patna, which is mm. if you look at the age, it's at, at least. 2,800 years old as a city minimum, right? Like that yeah, location. It was, the, it was the seat of the quote-unquote golden age of yeah. Indian history. So when, what kind of negativity or perception did you deal with and 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 kind of like did that force you, or not force you, but did that uh, make you think about doing what you're doing now? Uh, yeah, I mean, so in, in Delhi, Definitely, I came across it quite a quite a bit. You know, when I was in high school, yeah. there was the there was that whole stereotype about the uneducated Bihari doesn't know anything. You know, crime infest come from a comes from a crime infested state, and uh, to some extent, the crime infestation part was true back then, especially <laughs> in Lalu's time. Yeah. There was definitely a case there that they had, um, and uh, so yeah, I, I dealt with it in high school. Uh, I dealt with it in college as well to to yeah. to quite a bit, quite a large extent about the whole oh Bihar oh my God really uh, stuff especially with the sort of elite Delhi crowd you know the South Delhi types you know you talk to them and they're like Bihar oh my God I can't believe your English is that good I'm like yeah <laughs> I know I'm just a bundle of surprise and <laughs> so so yeah I I did have to deal with that and I think. I don't know if it necessarily like informed my my opinion on what I'm doing now. Yeah. But it does really go to show you that India isn't a monolith. It's right. not a monolithic culture where, you know, everybody thinks the same way, everybody behaves the same way, everybody, you know, it's all RSS controls everything, that narrative. That's not yeah. what India is at all. There's yeah. all, different people, different cultures. There's a lot of like infighting in a lot of different places as well so it, it it is very far from being a monolith that it is painted to be oh absolutely i mean i remember when i lived in delhi i lived there probably 2000 2001 i was mm. i was an undergrad i did one year at, at delhi university i had a 
at the arts faculty. So, oh, um, right. yeah, I did like Sanskrit and Hindi and a couple other subjects there. Wow. Uh, yeah, and uh, I remember because that for for South Indian, apparently I'm pretty tall and I don't look South Indian. <laughs> so, like, everyone thinks I'm Punjabi because I'm, I'm also a, a broader guy. Um, so everyone would be like, oh, they'll start talking to me in Punjabi. And I'd be like, okay, I don't know Punjabi. I, I'm, I, I'm familiar. And they'd be like, Madrasi? And, I, and they're like, but you're so tall and you're not dark. And I'm like, I'm like, first of all, that's like absurd. Have you been to the South? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a... I mean, Hema Malani is from the South, man. Yeah, Hema Malani, Vajit yeah. I mean, there's yeah. like a, a host of people, right? You know, it's, But it's not just that. It's just this idea that... Even within India, a lot of people, just like within the states, right, in the U.S., mm. people a lot of times have not left their state, right? They've never traveled down to anywhere else or across anywhere else. Uh, a few people have. And I think that's getting more and more easy, especially now that flying is relatively cheap compared to what mm. it was like 20 years ago, right? So people are much more people are flying. Um, we're seeing actually India become more people integrated, like from different regions. Mm. and. And maybe we'll talk about this later. I think this is one of the reasons why there's a larger push now to have a national language, right? Because with the more integration, there might need to be that. But but back in, in this is like 20 years ago, right? So people think I was Madrasi and they have these all these comments. And to be honest, like my Hindi wasn't as good back then. So I, I would use the Madrasiness to get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> but over time, it got better and then I did it. Um, so another question for you is... Uh, um, so you went to high school in Delhi. Did you go to one of those elite prep schools? I was in, I was in yeah, I was in Delhi public school. So, uh, you know, my parents were smart in the sense that they had the only the one child. So they could afford to send him to a nicer school. <laughs> That's what I always say. Yeah. <laughs> you deal with more than one child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have four kids. You got to worry about four people. You have one kid. You just got to worry about the one. So uh, actually, uh, my colleague who who does uh, marry with me, he went to Dune School. He loves to, oh, wow. All right. Yeah. He went to the fancy one. Really fancy one. Fancy one, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but he's oh anti-Dune himself, even oh, though really? he likes to use the power of the Dune. <laughs> yeah, that's what you do. You use the power of the Dune. You don't have to associate yourself with it, but you got to use the power of the Dune. Yeah, I mean, for people that don't know, Dune School is actually one of the most premier boarding schools in India. I think there's like a half, there's a, like 10, 10 or 12 of them that are super like high-level education, um, they could compete with any boarding school like in the US or UK or whatever. Like um, the Mahindras and the Birlas and all the top politicians kids, they go yeah, there. Yeah, like uh, all, exactly all of them. And all the, and they all get in like Harvard, a lot of them through, yeah. like, like through patronage and like you know, legacy admissions. Admittanship. Um, so that you dealt with that in, in Delhi, you know, the, 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 the background that you had in Pune. Uh, I mean, not Pune, but Patna. Mm. So, how does your like how? What do you when you talk about your family was cultured and and brought up in that way? What do you mean by that exactly? Was it like did you were you taught the the text or were you like taught traditions? I mean, what made what made you different culturally than other Indians? Would you think right? It, it was funny. It was funny because uh, my dad, when he was growing up, was a very committed uh, communist so when he, when he was in college so bihar for a lot of people that don't know a lot of people when you talk about communism they associate it with like you know bengal or kerala yeah. but uh, bihar back in the 80s was a real hotbed of communism like a that. real hotbed yeah and uh, my dad grew up in an area that was you know like communist central in yeah. a way 
And so uh, he grew up a very, like, in, in college, like his first year of college, he was a very committed communist, you know, uh, Comrade Sharma and all that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but as, like, as he hung out in those communist circles, all yeah. he would hear is like abuses about India, like abuse towards India, abuse towards India's culture. Yeah. And growing up in India, you 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 know, unless you're completely gone, brain like unless you're completely brainwashed, you know that's not true. You know it's not all negative. Yeah. yeah. So, so when I feel like the the kind of abuse that the communists give India pushes some of the you know thinking communists away. Sure. Like so my dad was like, all right, it's not all negative. Clearly, it's not all negative. And then he started reading about, you know, India's culture and his history a little bit. And the more he read, the more it pushed him away from the communist cause, so to say. Sure. And so he became a lot more culturally aware. He became aware of what, you know, Indian culture had contributed and what Indian history was all about, the struggles of the Indian people to survive and uh, the 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 spiritual i feel like traditions that um, india has contributed to the world that was one of the uh, one of the biggest things that drew my dad away from the sort of communism you know the the spiritual traditions of india right and so when i was growing up my dad would tell me about those things you know he'd tell me about india's spiritual traditions so we were not a very like we'd we'd go to temples but that wasn't our uh, that wasn't our hinduism 101 it wasn't right, like right. a temple jao beta you know fold your hands and do this and do that that wasn't what it was it was more being being aware and being knowledgeable about what your culture is right you know know about your culture know what it has contributed know what it's all about so and and as soon as you know those things you feel a sense of pride no, and that sense of pride was inculcated, I think, in me from uh, from a very young age. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, I mean, did you ever go through yourself a communist phase? No, no, okay. no, I was lucky. My dad was very like, uh, he did it for both nah, of you. Bro, okay? I, I, gotta get, I gotta set you on the right path, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went through, I went through my communist phase. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say communist. I was a, what I would call a, dialectical materialist in in a in an academic sense right uh because it was the first time i think in college when i started learning about like um the history of 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 communism and and not communism but marxism and like the way he saw history himself right mm. like always a conflict between two kind of groups or two so it was a very simplistic and actually a very powerful narrative at the time like mm -hmm. like th i think this is what really captures people about uh, communism and marxism is in some sense people don't get it even christians don't get it it's the same narrative that christians have right like yeah. it's the same narrative like there's two sides fighting each other uh you know like you know there's an oppressor which is in this christianity becomes like the shaitanic i mean the, the satanic forces versus yeah. the forces of god who are constantly oppressed and they have to eventually they'll win over take over it's the same trajectory that's played out in christianity that plays out in marxism right eventually there's some sort of utopia and i just yeah. wanted to point out a funny thing that uh that that you said um, I mean, it's not funny, but it's an interesting observation is, you know, well, I asked, were you guys re religious or anything? And your response is, no, we didn't go to the temple, right? We couch it again in terms of we didn't go to church in a very similar yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's not, it's not your issue. We all do it when we think when we use the word religion, right? We think it, we couch it in such a Christian or Islamic yeah. sense. Right? Like we didn't go to masjid or we didn't go to church. Yeah. And people, many people should recognize for Hindus, the temple isn't the center of our lives, right? Yeah. Or we might have a smaller mandir at home, or 
you know, like, or small little devalaya or whatever you want to call it. Or That's even, much more of a temple than actually going to a temple, you know, the little yeah. devalaya you have at the house. Or, or if you do, if you say a mantra, right? Many people don't even have like a murti at home that yeah. they, they worship. They'll just say they wake up, they meditate, they they might do a mantra, and and then if you ask them they're religious, they're like, yeah, you know, I do mantras and stuff, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a different way of of thinking about religion. But you no, know, going back to the yeah, point, you're right there, yeah. It, it is um, so you didn't go through the communist phase, uh, but Delhi University, which is you know not that far from JNU, um, is also. So it's it's getting more and more leftist, right? Yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty leftist when I was there too. You know, I, I it was funny because I left high school, went to college, thinking I'm a liberal. You know, I'm yeah. a liberal guy, man. You know, Delhi University, liberal central. It's awesome. It's a great place for a liberal to be. But then I talked to these people from like, uh, you know, the the English dramatics people and the the St. Stephen's people, and they're they're somewhere else. I thought <laughs> I was a liberal, but they're, they're somewhere else. They're on another plane of existence, man. Yeah. So I was like, All right, what are those people? I thought if I'm the liberal, what are those people? They say they're the liberals. So what does that make me? And if I think I'm the liberal, what does that make them? I was like, for a year, I was just confused. Like, what the hell am I then? <laughs> you know? I, I, I mean, that's, uh, I feel that way partially now, right? Like, yeah. Because I I consider myself pretty pretty left in terms yeah. of my, or pretty liberal right like I'm I'm very pro gay gay rights uh, live and let live um, I you know I I am pro pro life I mean pro choice in yeah. my political uh, in my political views but personally I might be I'm pro life right like mm. in the sense like I do think there any if I believe in my Hindu fundamentals right which mm. is or karma and all this other stuff right. Then any sort of killing, right? Whether it is killing a plant, uh, a, a microbe, to killing human being, to killing Mother Earth, it's all killing, right? We're all mm. we're on a scale of killing, so it's all a papa or a sin that we do. But some things we have to do, right? Like we yeah. have to eat, so we have to kill plants. We have to kill other uh, sometimes animals. These are all. It's not a zero sum game, yeah. and this is one of the I think one of the things that people fail to recognize, like. That they they talk about vegetarianism and everything, and I think it's important vegan vegetarianism. But at the same point, don't believe behave holier than thou because yeah. we all live in a continuum of death. Yeah. I mean, this is this is actually the funny thing that's like something that Arjuna tells Yudhishthira in the Mahabharata. Like, yeah. um, even even if you choose not to do harm and live uh, without killing, every to live requires death. Yeah. Right, you're killing millions of in, innocent beings or creatures yeah. microbes all the time yeah and like people like you people need to die for humanity to continue like if nobody ever died then we would yeah. just overpopulate the planet and kill it right. you know what i mean well, yeah it's exactly uh i mean so i think one of the things is when we're talking and when i was asking about but the the going left on the side is mm. what we now consider to be liberal or or more open, inclusive, uh, uh, critical thinking has now, for some reason, become rightish. Yeah. Like if you have a viewpoint that doesn't fit a narrative that people are trying to tell you, you're rightish. So like, like exactly what you're saying is, like I met you. You're a liberal guy too. You have similar values that I do, like free speech and mm. uh, open societies and things of that nature. And That's the weird right? part, right? Like yeah. the free speech thing has now become a right-wing issue, which it was the the opposite of that. Like 
you know, with Berkeley and all that. Berkeley was the birthplace of the free speech movement, and that's yeah. as left as you can get. Yeah, and, and now you had that issue, with, even though I don't like the guy the, the few years ago, my old Yiannopoulos. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah, he's an idiot. I mean, he's not an idiot idiot, but he's like, he's a provocateur. He just says stupid crap to, to, uh, to get a rise out of people. Get a rise out of people. And let him speak. Mm. The, I, I always think that, I mean, this is Sam Harris's, I think one of his best ideas is the, the only way you can beat a bad idea is with a better idea, right? Or a good idea. You don't you don't stifle the bad idea. You 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 put it into a war of ideas and let the better idea win. Now that being said, I think we have to recognize that it's not not a purely rational enterprise, right? Where where it's also very emotive. People might not buy into rational arguments. They buy into like a lot more emotional uh, positions, which is why sometimes these narratives are hard to break, or these these like stories or traditions are hard to break too. Yeah. Yeah, it is crazy because I I think you know the, the liberal movement on the on the for the most part comes from a very good place. You know, yeah, their yeah. hearts in the right place, one hundred percent. Which is why we all identify with those values. You know, you identify with those values. I yeah. identify with those values. So they obviously come from the right place. But I feel like they've just leaned into their worst in- instincts over the last few years. Right. You know, where in in trying to stand up for the little guy. Anything that they deem, it's not even. It doesn't even have to be against something that you're saying against the little guy. But anything that you basically now deem to to be against the little guy is now not allowed. A yeah. and B, anything that the quote unquote little guy might do wrong, is now not even acknowledged because the little guy can do no wrong. Now that's that's the place where we are now. So if you're like, and the best way that we're noticing that now is the weird weird relationship that the left and the Islamists have like this weird uncomfortable relationship that they have where the left and the Islamists are now these uncomfortable weird bedfellows so (laughs) the left does not criticize anything that the Islamists do you know where you have women's rights being taken away in Islamic societies the left is silent more or less on right whereas like you know women's rights in christian societies matter in western societies 100% matter and i'm right. very happy that people are speaking up for it but objectively the status of women and the state of women in islamic countries is much worse right now at this moment right. in time and right? i think I, I think that's true more of probably middle eastern islamic yeah. nations and like southeast asian islamic nations like malaysia and and indonesia and stuff like that i think they're they're much closer to equality between the men and women. Again, I don't know the society fully. I just know from what I've what what I've read and the times I've been there, yeah. it seems a, a much more equal society, at least in the urban centers, right? What I yeah. what I gather, um, yeah. because they're a little more cosmopolitan. Kuala Lumpur is much more cosmopolitan, you know, and and even in uh, I went to Bali. Actually, the only place in Indonesia I've been to is Bali. So I, okay. <laughs> it, it, that should not count, to be honest, right? Yeah. Bali yeah. is not not the Bal- same. Bali is like half Australian, half the year. So that's right. right. Um, so I mean. One of the things that that does strike me is people on the left, and, and, and by this I mean the Democrats and in U.S. politics-wise, mm. and even India, maybe Congress, and um, who, who who proclaim you know we're feminists, we believe in pro uh, uh, pre uh, you know pro-choice, that women should be equal, and and like you said, they don't they turn a blind eye because part of the I think part of the issue is that 
as white, what well, majority of Democrats in America, anyways, right? I mean, they're, they're not majority. Yeah, maybe, but they're white people don't want to tell the Islamic world or any other world what is considered feminist or not, right? And this yeah. is actually a legit question, right? Because I, I don't think they're, I don't think they're wrong in having this hesitancy because, like. Hijab can be a choice, right? I, I like there's, there's to me there's no, there's no issue on that. The the issue is when the choice within a culture becomes enforced, right? Yeah. Like like, and that's that's the the concern that people should have. People should not be concerned like in America if people wear a hijab. Fine, wear a hijab. I mean, yeah. do what you want. But like, if you're if you go to another country. And you're forced to wear a hijab; otherwise, you're treated a certain way. Mm. Then maybe you should distance yourself from that particular kind of behavior yeah. or call that behavior out. But you, like you say, you don't see it in America. It's easy to to talk about these things in abstraction because mm. you can. You yeah. have the freedom of space of 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 not having to be worried about being stoned to death or beaten to death or or told or ostracized by your family completely like you would if you were in any of these countries that force you to do this. Yeah. Even, even India is the same thing, right? India, you could talk about hijab being a very, yeah. uh, uh, like a, a choice thing. Because it is. Pakistan, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, Even I in India, in certain communities, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's a, there is a level of coercion among certain communities. But again, there are also uh, women that choose to wear it on their yeah. own free will. Sure, but I think the where the, where we run into a problem is where we recognize the women and we obviously celebrate the women that choose to wear it on their own free will, but then we completely ignore the women and we sideline the women that yeah. they that, who have had terrible experiences of the hijab being thrust upon them. Right, and, and by, by the way, it's just not the hijab; it's the niqab too, right? The full yeah. cover, which is which is even worse, right? It's, yeah. it's you know, like you know, people call it the ninja outfit, the mailbox. They have all these names <laughs> for it, right? You know, it, it, I mean, I get it, and, and part of it is derogatory, and a part, but part of it, you're also like, look, guys, I mean, let's let's think about it just rationally for at some at, at a human level, right? How is it any way remotely even? Um, considered even feminist to 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 force someone to wear this when they walk out so that men don't feel enticed right yeah it, it, have you uh, have you seen that video it's absolutely it's an un unbelievable video it's a it's a video of this like group of women and in afghanistan or somewhere they created like an outside gym for these women and they have, they have these group of women and every single woman in is in a full burqa like yeah. You can only see the little slits of their eyes, like full ninja gear, and they're just out there, just like doing that, and that's considered like a, like a workout. Yeah, but but and you see, celebrating it as like an outdoor gym for women. I'm like, no, bro, hey, look at the video. But to be honest, if you go to even India and you go to the parks, you will see people just doing that yeah. exercise. Yeah. And they're like this. And you're like, know, what kind of workout is that? I mean, I mean, it's not just like a, 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 a like yeah. it's like. They just think they're moving their body, yeah. which I mean, yeah. If you do that eight thousand times, then you got to work out. But if you're doing it like like twenty times, that's not a workout. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, look. I mean, it's not just in in Islamic society we have these things. Even in Indian society, in some sense, right? Like Indian society, especially modern Indian society, mm. have things like where where um, you have purda too, right? You know, like you know. Uh, certain communities, women are, are not allowed outside the house or allowed to 
Oh, go ahead. No, you, you. Sorry, sorry. I was, I was just. My finger was. I was doing something else. But oh. uh, I was just gonna say that um, with it's a weird thing because I was just talking to my fiance about it, and it's like this weird thing where um, in in a lot of temples, you know, when men go into the temple, the men don't cover their heads, but when when women go into the temple, they're you know expected to cover yeah. their heads, and and they do. And it's one of those practices which it's not hurting anyone. It's not hurting the women in any way, but it's still it's a little weird. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I, like, don't, I don't. You know don't have to cover your heads, but you're expected to. You know, it's it's actually funny because I think in the north they do that, right? In the yeah, south, yeah, that's right. In the south, the women still cover their heads sometimes, right? Oh, okay. Uh, but but men have to generally go shirtless. Oh. Like like I was many times like when I was uh, I think like. 10 years ago or something, when I went to India and I went to a temple, I had a shirt on and they're like, no, you can't come in unless you take the shirt off. Like, for example, like Guruvayur temple, like, mm. uh, I had to take my, my, my shirt off and then wear a dhoti, right? They, okay. they, they make you wear a dhoti to go in, which is, look, it's a temple. However, they, within limb, within reason, yeah, yeah I, right? Like the women there will, will have to, actually, I didn't see them cover their heads. I, uh, it, I guess in that sense, maybe never, that's more of a North, North Indian thing then. Well, it could be North Indian thing, but it all could be also be very temple specific. I, I feel like so many temples are so because of this non-centralized nature, and they don't. There's not a book telling them mm -hmm. how to like be in a temple or what. They each have different uh, rules and regulations. But right. you know, I mean, within Indian society, we do have our own issues of of. Uh, of, I guess, misogyny. And yeah, like I'll give you an example. Like in rural areas, if you go to yeah. very, very rural areas in India, I mean, it, it, it's probably not the case in like a lot of places, but I'll just tell you from what I know of experience, like yeah. in, in, in Bihar in certain areas, and again, in cities is not really a thing, but in rural areas, certain areas, like if you have an older member of the family or one of your like father-in-law or mother-in-law comes into the room, yeah. you like you just like cover your head as, yeah. as a woman, which again, the man doesn't have to really do that. W woman doesn't really have to do that as well, but it's just like a, like a weird little custom that it's they just custom. do that. Like automatically yeah. they just do that, which it's fine. It's fine. It's not hurting anyone. It's fine. Just a little weird. <laughs> you know? No, I mean, no, it, 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 it is. And it's like, it's, uh, you know, it's it, from my experience, uh, from my family, like it oddly, um, I, I think even after my grandfather died on my dad's side, my family was like super matriarchal. Like, mm. like everyone running the family has been like women. Even to, like, even after my grandmother died, my 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 dad and his brothers and everyone else in the family would look to one of their sisters to oh, take wow. lead, be the like the global cohesive unit and the leader mm. in the family. And even today, in some regard, we still have that kind of breakdown. Like, you know, uh, it's it's kind of difficult to talk about feminism and, or anti-feminism within Indian society because, especially Hindu society, because it is really strange in, in, in a certain regard, right? Like, like for example, like, we, we place certain links to motherhood or women that are above like men like for example for yeah. one things first things we say is satya mata right and then pitagnyana right the first mm. is the highest is supposed to be your mother and then it's your father right or it's like a mata pita guru devam 
First mm. goes mother, then father, then guru, then God, right? That's like the order of importance is actually how yeah. it's supposed to... It, it, we're given the importance... And in like a lot of Western countries, you have you have a concept of the fatherland. You have, the, yeah. you know, but in, in India, it's definitively Bharat Mata. Well, it, it's funny because I think it, it is definitely Bharat Mata for the way we think about it colloquially. Mm. And I think, but I think like in, in Golwakar and... Uh, um, uh, uh, Savarkar, mm. they both write about the yeah. idea of Pitrubhumi and Matrubhumi mm. and India as a for both. You know, they play into that because they bought into a lot of the nationalistic sentiments yeah. of Europe and brought in the idea of the fatherland with the merger with the uh, motherland of India, right? So India, I think, is, is in this way is is such a... It depends, again, on the region you go to, yeah. like parts of the south, like, for example, like like in Kerala culture, in some communities, I think Nambudris and a few other ones, even Nairs maybe, they pass property down on the matrilineal line, right? Mm. Um, like property does not come come through your normal way, which is uh, normal everywhere else in India for the most part, would be through your father's side. Your mm. father father's determines where it goes, but in Kerala parts, these communities do all via mother's side. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's like you'll see pockets of that across the the country, but it's difficult to talk about feminism because the concepts of way we view feminists in the West and the East are different. Yeah, uh, how how do you say how do you think they're different? Well, I mean, one of the things I'll, I'll say is different is what is the role of a woman in in uh, in, in a family unit, right? Mm. Like, for example, like. Um, in our in in our in Hindu tradition, it tends to be she is considered the master of everything in the house, right? Mm. Like meaning finances. Like the like the the outer level is where the husband will go out and take care of whether whether it be like as a merchant or a warrior or as a as a, a farmer, or whatever. You'd be out there. That's where his domain was outside mm. the house. Inside the house. In the text even say that whatever the woman says goes right money and this and that right because the idea was like she this is the business that she's running or the household she runs his job is to make sure there's enough to provide yeah. and her job is to manage it right it was so it was this it was also the concept of like things like you know again the concept of feminism within indian society is we have we're the only only group of people left on the planet with mother goddesses and yeah. not even mother goddesses virgin goddesses you know like and and even even the idea of uh of divine feminine and 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 not pushing it away as being something bad and terrible like but it's something to be worshipped to engage with right like in, in very much in the christian sense like if you look at catholicism right the only one that really mary has any sort of role which mm. might be the divine feminine is mary becomes the intercedent between you and god yeah so in that sense sometimes we have that role within hinduism between like if like for example in 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 sri vaishnavism because vishnu is seen or uh, vishnu is being as seen as being uh difficult to durlaba which is difficult to to, to obtain or grasp mm. or whatever right so lakshmi becomes the one that intercedes on your behalf within a certain school of Shivaishnavism. Yeah. Other schools are co-equal, like whatever Lakshmi, Vishnu can do, Lakshmi can do equally. So you might not even have to worship Vishnu, you can just worship Lakshmi. Yeah. And, and this goes across like even with Shiva and Shakti and, and all yeah. the... 
And that brings us to another little interesting part about India as well, right? Because yeah. uh, with with India, you always you always get this this question, and now uh, we're kind of noticing it with the Shabrimala issue as well, and with how the courts are treating Hindu culture. That uh, what is an essential practice to a Hindu? Like what is the um, you know what like like for a Christian? What are your like you can ask them what are your core beliefs and a Christian will tell you it's here in this book right here I can tell you what it is. You ask a Muslim you'll be like oh it's right here in this yeah. little book right here I'll tell you what it is. But for a Hindu it, it's it's very different you know, and I think that's a mistake that courts made as well with the Shabrimala issue when they were saying. Oh, is so and so in Shabrimala? Is it an essential Hindu practice? And if you look at it with an Abrahamic definition, exactly. then no, it's not. But if yeah. you look at it from a Hindu perspective, yes, it is, because well, the, the 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 essential practice for a Hindu varies widely from area to area. So in that area, in that region, it 100% is an essential practice. For example, in Bihar, so my, yeah. in my state, uh, we perf- we perform the Chhat Puja. Yeah, which is like a, you know a solar worshiping thing, and it, it is it is absolutely an essential practice for a Bihari. It's like a rite of passage in a way for a Bihari. Yeah. Or most Biharis do Chhat Puja. You know, Eastern Uttar Pradesh people they do Chhat Puja as well. So it's a, it's a very very uh, integral practice of Bihari culture. Right. But for a Punjabi Hindu, it might not even matter. For a Kannada Hindu, Kannadiga Hindu, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But but what matters for a Kannadiga Hindu might not matter for a Bihari Hindu again. But it, they're all Hindu, but they all have, you know, the, their their specific practices, specific traditions, yeah. which when the courts say, oh, is this an essential Hindu practice? I just think it's such a silly question. It, that I, an Indian court is asking you that question, which is supposed to be understanding of how Indian culture and Indian traditions work. And this is, I think, the one of the cruxes of, of the difficulty of any time of engaging, not only with the West, but a lot of Indians, right? Mm. It's just, is this sense of... Even asking that question, what's an essential practice, mm. is such an Abrahamic yeah. vision of the world, right? Like, because that way you can say, oh, you're not a good Christian because you don't do XYZ. You're not yeah. a good Muslim. You don't do XYZ. You're not a good Jew. You don't follow the, the Talmud, right? You know, there's all these requirements for you to become a good one of these things. We don't have any of those. And this is like, this is so fundamental. Sometimes it irks me because if you actually read our texts, like, it doesn't require you to to go do puja. It doesn't mm. require you. It requires some people to do to yagnas. It requires mm. some people to do like you know temple worship. It requires some people to do you know karma yoga or jnana yoga or bhakti. But all these different ways of worshiping are still allowed. Like there's even stories of 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 like in a, in a bhakti sense, right? Like a way of worshiping Shiva was once this guy who. Who, who went into the forest, saw Lingam, who was yeah. so devoted to Shiva. He like, you know, he gives it meat, he gives it this, he he kills something for it. And, you know, it's, it, it's but it's done out of love, right? So these idea of essential practice is such a difficult thing to engage with when you're a Hindu, right? It should be more of, honestly, in some sense, I think it should be like, what's your essential thought? Are yeah. you, are you, do you, do you view divinity being open to everybody? Yes. Do, you, mm. do they need to necessarily follow the path you follow? No. Now, caveat: maybe you believe the only way to get moksha is the path you follow. Yeah. But you might say to experience. But then again, that that's where the concept of mutual respect comes in. Yeah. Like, I feel like mutual respect has to be one of the 
pillars if you want to make one. Right. You know, I, I think that's one right there where, you know, you even if you consider your way to be the perfect way, yeah. you have to at least concede that it is impossible that it is the only way. Right. Right. Yeah. 100% true. And this is where I think, like, we have to really start talking not within the confines of what we've been talking for the past 200 years about what religion is constitute mm. of and what essential practices means, but really start stepping away from the the 22nd piece or the Hindu Bible is the Gita. No, 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 please. Let's not, let's not do that stuff. Right. Let's, if people want to know, let's, let's spend time, let them know mm. because you can't, I, I think we talked about this before. You can't dumb down a, a culture that's so, 180 different from the culture yeah. you're used to in in, in sound bites right you yeah, have to, Hindu culture it's it's a little bit like being in a supermarket you know it's it's like you, yeah, we you go through various time, yeah. aisles yeah we, we spoke about that last yeah. time you go through various aisles and you, you pick up what you like and what works for you what works for your dietary program you yeah. know you, you pick it up and you put it in your cart and and that's your program right there but it's interesting because it's also like we i mean hindus are ex the exact what we're the as other as you can get for for most of the world right we're yeah. just so other like it, not only in much of the world we're not white you know in america we're not white yeah. but we're not monotheistic we're not you know one way one truth one path one no we're not one book we're not one practice we're not like you know we're we're like we're you know and the one thing my dad taught me growing up was in some sense, if you're a Hindu, if you have a Hindu viewpoint, then everyone else is a Hindu to you. Yeah, they're just following a different path, right? Yeah. And and they're they're doing whatever path they follow, their own sector community, and that's how I still view it. So one of the reasons, and maybe this maybe this is a very parochial, uh, you know, parochial and I guess uh, patronizing view that I have, but if mm. it is fine, it's <laughs> it's this idea that I think everyone is somewhat of a Hindu. I think everyone practices their own way of getting to the truth and understanding it and imbibing in it. But I could, I could also think they're wrong. And this is why I also tend to get very angry with Hindus and Indians that start attacking Muslims for being Muslims. Mm. And just just say nasty things about people and call them names because they're Muslim, just because they're a Muslim person and just because they're a Christian. Oh, you're... And I'm like, come on! Is this what our, um, is this what our tradition is? No, not even yeah. close, not yeah. even close. But I mean, if you drink a if you drink a glass of poisoned water, yeah, are you gonna blame the glass? Or are you gonna blame the water? Right. You know. Yeah, I mean, so it, what, it, what, what 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 you do when you when you scream at Muslims for being Muslims is you're blaming the glass. Like, how dare you, glass? No, you blame the water because it's the water that's poisoned. Yeah, you you can have disagreements about ideas they have and and engage you. And yes, at some of these things, you'll have fanatical Muslims. You'll have fanatical. I mean, when I say fanatical Muslims, I don't mean they're human beings that happen to be fanatical and they happen to be Islamic. I'm saying mm. these are human beings that one of the reasons that they are fanatic is because they buy into a fanaticized version of what they think the religion teaches them. Right. Right, and and this is again, this is where where I'll make a de demarcation between fanatical Hindus. Fanatical Hindus are Hindus who behave like every other human being in a tribal mentality, yeah. but has nothing to do with textual basis for behaving that way. Yeah. Like, there's nothing in our text that says go kill a human being that killed a cow. Yeah, it doesn't say that at all. 
It doesn't say go kill a Mlecha. Mlecha is on the, uh, uh, or, you know, for people that know, Mlecha is a term that's not Arya. An Arya is most of India who have follow a Vedic, Hindu mm. kind of culture, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, right? It has nothing to do with race or any of that crap. But it never says for us to go out and do anything to anybody else because we have something there that's better. Karma. Mm. We don't deal with it. There's Karma will take care of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, yeah. this is my like little rant yeah, about yeah, yeah. why I get upset about people, um, first of all, attacking Muslims and Christians just for being who they are that's that's that is nothing short of hate mm. and and i can't support any hindu that does that yeah. let alone any human being and secondly is let's understand that at some point like hindus do engage in same fanatical behavior but it's not religious based in some sense it's much more of a tribal mentality and, and many of these people don't have a sense of their own religion or their yeah. own um, i don't mean the term religion but their own text or their traditions yeah Sorry. no yeah you're right you're right because it's not it's it's not something that's ingrained in us that oh uh, you know in, in any hindu kid that if somebody doesn't think the way you they do you do they're gonna go to hell yeah. if you if if you want to save your friend uh i don't know sunil over there you <laughs> have to make sure he becomes a shavite if he yeah. will not become a shavite sunil's gonna go to hell yeah you know so yeah. you're you're like Every time you meet Sunil, so w with a lot of people, like when I moved to New Zealand, this is something that I noticed, is that I would, uh, I, I, one of the, one of my coworkers was like a very, very devout Christian. Yeah. And every chance he'd get, he'd like hand me a little Bible and he'd be like, hey, when you ain't trying reading that, I'm like, I, I, I really don't need to. I, I'll tell you to read my shit, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> why you get tell me to read your shit? Sure, I'll take it. I'm not going to read. I'm telling you already. I'll take it because I don't want to be. It's interesting, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, but you know I'll, I'll read it on my in my own time because I yeah, want yeah. to know what's in there, not because you know or whatever yeah. you, the hell you're saying. But uh, he would always meet me, and he would always had this worried look on his face because I think I was the only Hindu that he knew. Really? And, yeah. In New but Zealand, in New Zealand, there's not a ton of them. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, and uh, so I feel like I was the only Hindu that he knew, and yeah. every time he'd meet me, he had this worried look on his face, and I asked him like. You know, a lot of people, I feel like when they see heathens, they 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 get angry. You know, yeah. like, dirty heathen and all that. You always look worried. Why? Because he's like, because I'm afraid you're going to go to hell. And I'm like, all right. Okay. So I, he's he's trying to save me so that I don't go to hell. That's and a intention. lot of people think, I know it's good intention, but it's absurdly silly. You know, it's yeah. amazingly silly. It's totally silly from our perspective. Yeah. It's for his perspective, based on his. Yeah, he sees that as being the only way. Yeah, and, that's exactly and, and, what it is. And, and this is, but that's, you know, I just been conditioned to essentially believe that what he believes is the only way to get into this right. club. Right. And if Sham doesn't, you know, believe what I believe, Sham's not going to get into that club. Which again, I good intentions, but. You know, it's backed by a very silly philosophy. Well, it's it's also because I think he buys into Pascal's wager, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the whole idea that right. you know, it, even if it's not true, I yeah. mean, even if you don't know it's true, yeah. Uh, and and it if 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 you know if it's not true, if you don't believe it, but it is true, then you're going to go to hell. Yeah. So why not behave in a way that makes you not go to hell? Yeah. Just assume that it is true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's the mentality. And, and the thing is, 
and, and, and again, question, coming from a culture where you where you know there's a, there's a very strong focus on self exploration yeah. and introspection that 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 sticks out that kind of philosophy sticks out like a sore thumb because there's a ton of assumption involved right it, like one of the things i always say is i don't think i want to hang out with a conception of god or god that's just going to throw me in hell because i don't believe in him yeah. that's a ass it's not a nice person yeah. like you set up the rules and you set me up to fail yeah. in that rule yeah. like it's like it makes no sense you know yeah, like like bill burr used to say right like bill burr's a comedian he used to say all right so you created me you created me all flawed like you put all these nasty things inside me where i'm completely flawed then you create booze then you create hookers and you expect me to just <laughs> be a perfectly nice guy and you set me up to fail bro yeah and theologically you have to also think about the fact that he knew it when he did it <laughs> like god knew it like the moment that concept he knew exactly when he created you what was going to happen to you yeah so, like you know he created you to go to hell or heaven exactly. which is why the calvinists tend to be the ones that say hey you know uh some of us are predestined for heaven and uh, some of us aren't right yeah. so uh I, I i can at least respect them of all yeah. people, I'm like, hey man, you think I'm going to help? All right, at least you, know. at least yeah. you're so set on it. I mean, that's where like the Protestant work ethic comes in, because like you work hard, and if you made it, then you know that you were chosen by God, yeah. well, well before time. No, but it, it's it is interesting because like this is why you see so many people on campuses, right, with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ and. And like Jews for Jesus, and yeah. you know, they're coming out there. They're giving you the Bible, want to save your soul, and then they'll make claims like you know, uh, you know, the only person to ever claim that he was God and and showed it was Jesus. And they're like, actually, like if you look at our text, Krishna did it, Durga did it, you know, like yeah. now they yeah. God and they show you. <laughs> yeah. But did they come back from the dead? No, because they didn't have to die. <laughs> I mean. I mean, I'm making. I mean, is that the only way you can prove that you're like you're God if you come back from the dead and you like you know moonwalk on water? Well, it's it's also because he's like come came back to redeem our sins. <laughs> because, I mean, the fall of Adam and Eve from the yeah. Garden of Eden. But you're also at that point you got to think like, hey, God, when you created Adam, didn't you know he was going to fall? And yeah. didn't you know all human beings? This is part of God's grand grand plan. Well, you know, yeah. I think that this is a difficulty having a deeper conversation with them is that it it does become problematic about understanding um the theology properly because they don't understand it themselves they won't take it to the logical extremes because yeah. the moment you do the entire house collapses right yeah so yeah. going back to our original point about uh uh when you're talking about your christian friend and interacting with them um i don't now i lost what we're no, saying no, no, yeah it, it, it was just it was you know, I, I, it was hard for me to feel offended because I know he's coming from a good place. But at the same time, he's overtly, well, covertly, I suppose, telling you that whatever whatever I believe in, whatever culture that I grew up in is complete nonsense, is right. complete bollocks. And, uh, you know, and my culture, my culture of origin has doomed me to a life of eternal hellfire, right? That's right. That's what he's believing. So if you really sit down and think about it, it's incredibly offensive. But I, I don't really care about that stuff. But uh, but then that's that's where the problem is, right? That you that a large percentage of the population of this planet has been conditioned to believe that their way is the only way, and that's a 
And even if they're a wonderful person, even if yeah. they're a wonderful person that would not hurt a fly, that little seed that you planted in their heads, that's the kind of stuff that will push some people, some people within that population to commit horrible things. Sure. And I, I, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, but I think it, it's interesting. I just finished this book called The Darkening Age, mm. um, basically about uh, early Christianity yep. in Rome, right? Like uh, how Christi early Christianity basically destroyed the Roman Empire and all classical learning, uh, like the, the knowledge and history that the, you know, the Romans, the Romans, the Greeks, all of them brought to the table by the time Christianity took over the empire around 500 B AD or mm. CE. They lost Aristotle. They lost Plato. They lost. Uh, they lost science. They lost Galen. They lost so much knowledge. That's when the Dark Ages entered, right? Yep. Like, and, and they just it was like this total breakdown of. They didn't have philosophy. They didn't have science. They didn't have medicine. They didn't really have much until to, honestly. And this and, and this thing is important is. And people do say the Islamic Golden Age did happen, in which that information came back through, because at the same time the um, pre-Islamic scribes were writing down yeah. or kept the copies of all this stuff, right? And then wrote it down and passed through the Islamic mm -hmm. world. But it's interesting that the way that Islamist, I mean, fun, Islamic fundamentalists behave today is very much the same way that they behaved, the Christians behaved yep. when they were not in power, right? And, and, and they would they would or when they down, were consolidating power. Yeah, well, exactly. So they were tear down temples and temples of old gods, kill people that didn't uh, worship their god, uh, their one true god, destroyed everything. I mean, to be fair, Romans did kill Christians, but they didn't kill them because they worshipped a god, but because yeah. the Christians did not want to partake in anything Roman, yeah. right? So there became like this element of of uh, instability within the empire yeah. for christians it was more like no your view is wrong we need either you accept this or you're gonna we're, we're gonna kill you and for them killing them or cutting out their tongue or doing whatever was a way of freeing them from the the evil of the world or something yeah nonsense. i mean if you look at the history of the Romuva people like i, I was reading a little bit about it because i was doing yeah. a show about it and uh you look at the history of the Romuva people of Lithuania, the indigenous yeah. people of Lithuania, the indigenous culture, and you you see the story of how they were essentially pretty much they were the last indigenous culture to hold out yeah. against the against the Holy Roman army, and they were the last culture to fall essentially the last indigenous culture. Yeah, and they were converted by the sword, pretty much. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, isn't that happening with the uh, the the Yazidis? Yeah. In, the Yazidis. Uh, yeah. Yazidis in, in 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 Iraq, and I mean, look, I mean, there there are legitimate concerns and and arguments and discussions we should be having about what it means to have a monotheistic, monolithic vision of the world, right? Yeah. And in some ways, and you know, the way we think about the world even today from a secular perspective is entirely derived from that right like we mm. we still think there's some ideal world that we can lead to um based upon you know what we can do as a society which mm. i don't think in any sense we have a sense of an ideal world yeah. that is that is that is we're progressing towards or ending because we're cyclical we get we'll have moments of 
great progress and yeah. great great civilization and then we'll have a downfall again and we'll go through these cycles right for in the in the modern thing we're trying to get somewhere we're trying to create something perfect not recognizing that on the path getting there there are always going to be consequences mm. that's going to lead if it never will be to a breakdown right like one of the one of the one of the problems with having too much liberal, liberalism is instability you yeah. have a lack of social cohesion right and mm. we have to accept that like there has to be this balance between a certain level of conservative behavior uh, of or trend in society and a certain level of liberalism having yeah. too much of one of the too much conservatism creates like an islamic islamic or fundamentalist christian society yeah. right creating too much liberalism creates almost an anarchist society yeah which no no bonds between people and and that's both those extremes are not places people want to live yeah. you know, you got, we're just trying to find out somewhere in the middle where we can exist and i think in this day we're 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 not thinking about things that way. we're thinking like oh we need to have a super liberal society not understanding that that liberalism will come with consequences yeah yeah no i i think i think you're i think you're absolutely right and i was watching some something on youtube the other day about you know how somebody was talking about how marriages are like terrible and some families are raising their kids and they don't tell the kids what gender they are till they're like 10 years old or something like that and I'm sure all of that is coming from a good place. But again, sure. like you said, those things come with consequences. Those things come with the consequence being an incredibly confused child. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, maybe that child won't be confused, but I would assume I would I would make a hypothesis that more often than not, people without a sense of identity from a younger age will come out very malleable later on. Yeah. Um just because I think like with the way we think about the world is fundamentally how we perceive ourselves and what mm. identity we give ourselves right yeah so despite the fact that i know there's people out there that, that claim that they go through being multiple sexes in one day or genders in one day <laughs> right i don't literally think they like that hour they feel like a woman they see the world differently and the next hour they feel like Dude, a man, have you they seen that have you seen that radio lab interview no i did like incredible radio lab clip where and i watched it because i heard about it on the joe rogan experience and i watched it and it's this like guy who's talking to the reporter and then he stops the reporter like midway and he's like can you please address me as she I'm a woman now <laughs> and then he stops her again he stops the reporter again and like t 20 minutes later he's like can you please address me as he I'm a man now and I'm just like you're obviously obviously that is a very very extreme fringe but I was oh. just like wow you exist was this a real thing or was it like yeah, a, it a real person oh no, no. It more <laughs> like comedy a... shit. oh wow yeah. wow yeah. That, I mean, look, I have to accept the fact that if there's so much human diversity, yeah. there might be people like that. Yeah, right. Exactly. I, I, I can't, I can't not not accept that. But I, I would imagine there's such a tiny population, such mm -hmm. a tiny percentage of the pop, like the infantile percentage of the population, yeah. right? Like uh, infant, infantismal percentage of the population. Mm. So let's let's talk about something that's actually uh, more politic oriented to this sure. day and age. So recently we had um, this article by, uh, what's his name, uh, Peter Friedrich or Friedrich sure. whatever, uh, come out about uh, Tulsi and kind of attacking her. Um, and I, I think I talked to you a little while ago about the fact that he made a video attacking <laughs> you for yeah. being like a like some sort of Hindu nationalist or... Yeah, apparently the, well, yeah. the video you shared was about like me being an RSS agent and taking money <laughs> from the RSS. And I'm like, bro, 
do you think if I got money from the RSS, I would be making this shitty show in my apartment <laughs> from the living room? No, I'd have a studio and a staff who edits my videos. What are you talking about? I spent like six hours trying to edit a bullshit video. And come on, where is that RSS money? No, I mean, and so this is like, so I don't know. If, I mean, we'll tag at the bottom the, the, mm. the article. Look, it's worth the read. Mm. It's worth the read only because he lays out some history and some connections. But my big problem with this article is that what he does is he lays out the history of the RSS first and, and at the same time lays out the history of uh, the song in India on the whole and then uh, their diaspora within the U.S. and then Dulce Gabbard's life. Um, all like at a somewhat simultaneous storytelling method not chronologically but storytelling method so clearly the impact is this right you're trying to say that how the rss came into being got power how the american version of rss came into power and how Tulsi came into power all similar and they all connect to each other so mm -hmm. basically saying they're the same people but it's such a crazy argument too like if you read the article you, you what you're doing is you're looking at a list of Tulsi's donors yeah. and you're looking at the article says you're looking at Hindu sounding names and you look at Hindu sounding names and some of those names have an HSS uh, affiliation maybe and then you connect it to the RSS so basically yeah. you're saying that if there are Hindu sounding names that are supporting Tulsi Gabbard, yeah. they had that means she's and you know she's being paid by the RSS and propped up by the RSS. So basically, if Bernie Sanders has some Christian sounding names, yeah. Christians that go to church, Christians that have like church affiliations, that means that Bernie Sanders is being supported by fundamentalist Christians. Yeah. That means that the Muslim, the you know, the people from CARE, that Islamic organization yeah. in America, if there are people from the CARE organization that fund or that give money to the Bernie campaign. Right. That means that Bernie Sanders is being propped up by fundamentalist Islamists. If sure. going by that logic, that oh, makes sense it, too, right? Yeah, and, and so like, this is an interesting thing, and I, it's, it's an anecdote for my life is, so when I was in college, I was in the Hindu Students Council, right? Mm. Which apparently is uh, arm of the sun, right? <laughs> you know, it, it's a youth arm or something. I, I was there part of, Hindu Students Council for like three years and change, president for a year, whatever, and then whatever. Not once did I ever interact with anyone from RSS, anyone from VHB, anyone from any Sun group. Yeah. In fact, even some of the, the presidents, the previous presidents of the HSC of when I went to undergrad in Irvine, UCI, they were leftists as left can be. They were, they, yeah. they were, they had no none of us i didn't even know to be honest until i moved to india for for my uh in 2000 to do research on bjp and stuff like that for part of the undergrad i didn't even know what the freak rss was <laughs> like i had no clue right and and i spent time and i learned about him and 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 yeah look some of the rss people are a little too like intense and crazy yeah. or whatever and i get it but to be honest like the RSS has also been one of the largest volunteer organizations in the world. Yeah, they're always at every disaster in India, every disaster, any problem in India. They're the first people there yeah. providing support, shelter, and and they do it across caste, 
They do it across religion, across every community, right? When the floods in Chennai were happening, RSS was there doing so much good work. Yeah. Everywhere. You know, if, like, you're talk, if you're talking about, you know, you, you, the article loves to paint RSS as like a fascist organization. Yeah. So it, the, the biggest example of fascism that we have seen in India is the emergency in 1975. That is yeah. probably as close as we have come, right? Yeah. Who was the organized, which was the organization that suffered most and had, had the most number of volunteers arrested under the emergency? It was the RSS. Yeah. It was RSS leaders that were at the front lines of fighting Indira Gandhi during that emergency. Yeah. So you have the you. So your argument falls apart there. Secondly, this is an this is an article written by a guy that is funded and supported by devout Khalistanis and Khalistani supporters, right? Well, allegedly, we don't know this yet, but I I, I think you're probably right. Yeah. I just I, well, I he, make he, that. he's a spokesperson for OMFI. OMFI yeah. has been founded by Bhajan Singh Bhindar, who is a vocal supporter of the Khalistani movement. Okay. So, I mean, there's a connection right there. Sure. And uh, um, so, Khalistani's biggest grouse is that, you know, the 1984 thing happened, one of their biggest grouse. Yeah. Is, is that the 1984 thing happened and there was a massacre and uh, there has been no justice. Right. I completely agree with them that the people that carried out the massacre, they should be brought to justice and punished in accordance with the law for what they did to those Sikhs. Right. 100%. There is no you are you will be very hard pressed to find a Hindu that will say anything other than what I said. Right? Yeah. So, but what is funny is that they don't blame the Congress party for the massacre. They say BJP is fascist, BJP killed Hindus. Right. When who who from the BJP was involved in that in that massacre? Who who from the RSS was involved in that massacre? Why are the fingers and guns pointed towards the BJP and the RSS and not the Congress Party? It was a politically motivated massacre. Yeah. Yeah. So why aren't the guns pointed towards them and the guns are pointed towards BJP and RSS like fascist RSS trying to you know destroy the Sikhs? In fact, there's a there's an excerpt from a from a Kushwant Singh book. Kushwant Singh is a very celebrated Sikh historian. And he wrote, I think, in, in History of the Sikhs, Volume 1, he writes that uh, it, it was members of the BJP and the RSS that were instrumental in protecting Sikhs in areas of Delhi yeah. during the riots. So wh what, is, what is the gripe against the RSS is what I don't understand. Well, I think one of the issues with a lot of the Khalistani movements is, um, is that, first of all, they're, they're fundamentally against Hindus. Yeah. Um, and, and I think is because they think uh, their Sikhism is a is a kind of a a breaking off of Hinduism. So in their head, it's like they they don't want that connection, and they think like the entire India or Hinduism is just the caste system. That I mean, it, that's the like that that's what I've been seeing to get right. No, you're right. Is, you're absolutely right. Like what we what we see here, what we see with these Sikhs, they're very Abrahamized. These yeah. Sikhs are very very Abrahamized, and I say Abrahamized consciously because the way they act with Sikhs that do not agree with them, yeah, is what gives them away. Right. So if you look at like Nirankari Sikhs, they treat Nirankari Sikhs like they're apost. They call them apostates. Well, they call them copper. Uh, where does yeah. the freaking concept of apostasy arise in Sikhism? Where does that come from? Never. Nowhere. nowhere. <laughs> then they, they, you look at the Udasi sect. So the yeah. Udasi Sikhs used to be the Mahans in every Sikh temple That's before right. they became a Gurdwara. They used to be Sikh temples where the, yeah. you had used to have statues of Durga and Hari and everybody. Yeah, yeah. But uh, 
but and all the mahants in these temples used to be members of the udasi sect and now even the udasi sect are considered apostates are right? yeah when does this concept of apostasy and sikhs that don't see the world exactly the way you do how do they become apostates like what gives you the authority to declare them apostates yeah like that's insanity yeah and, and this is like so this guy peter he's connected with them he's yeah. also so, so i did some background research on this guy uh, or peter whatever his name is so he mm-hmm. comes from an evangelical christian family in yep. like this area called Rockville near, near Sacramento, California, okay. in Northern California. Um, his mother and his father were, were were homeschoolers. They taught, I think there was like seven or eight of their kids. It was the same guy, right? Again, I didn't I didn't go do a social security check and all that stuff. <laughs> I you know that's not what I did yet. I, I could if I wanted, but I didn't want to yet. Um, and on top of it, uh, they he used to have blogs that were he had a bunch of blogs, by the way, all connected to his current blog, which is peterfiedrich.net or com, whatever it is. Mm. But they are all part of the network of like five or six blogs that he yeah. wrote. One of them was called uh, Dus X or Dus Ego, Dus, uh, Du Ego, where it was anti-homosexuality, yep. anti-LGBT, because uh, he was an evangelical at the time. And, and maybe he changed his views. I don't know. I, I haven't read anything bad about it. He was a supporter of Roy Moore, you know, that guy in Alabama. Ooh. Uh, the Kitty Fiddler, well, yeah, alleged, right? <laughs> alleged Kitty Fiddler, Roy Moore. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw that, uh, the, the, the show Who's America yeah. with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, that's right, yeah, where he had like the device from Israel <laughs> that's supposed to help you find a pedophile. He does it to himself, it's nothing, he does it to Roy Moore, he starts going off. <laughs> so, yeah, so th- that same guy, Judge Roy Moore, um, he supported, and he's you know, there's you could find inklings of what he's written throughout the internet. He's deleted most of it, right? He, I think, right, he disappeared for about like eight, nine years. Mm-hmm. And then he suddenly reinvents himself as a South Asian activist and right. specialist, analyst, analyst, right? Yeah. Uh, and he runs a website called the Sing of Judah. I mean, are you being any more uh, like obtuse in how you want to <laughs> explain Christianity? Like, a Sing is. He spells it sing like 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 yeah. the uh, like a jot jot you know sing right yeah. you know of Judah Judah you're you're basically the line of Judah the same thing of what Christ calls himself the line of Judah right yeah you are basically appropriating Sikhism with Christianity and I have I have an inkling again not proven so hey P- Peter if you watch this or followers ever watch this. You can't libel me. I'm a lawyer, son. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm allegedly here again. That's why you're you're really good with the uh, disclaimers. That's why. <laughs> I'm not really good with that shit. He can come after you for this stuff, right? Actually, yeah, you get yeah, journalistic yeah. within a certain a certain degree. Really? But my hypothesis is that this person has evangelical reasons for doing what he's doing. Sure. Number one and number two. I think something like on his blog, uh, again, this is not something he may have, again, deleted this, but didn't he have something about creating like a Christian theocracy? At one point he did. Yeah. Sure. I, 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 there was some secondary blog that connected to his, uh, okay. to sh- that talked about it, but I didn't find a direct one because he scrubbed, I think pretty much everything he wrote in the past. Yeah. Like that's not a red flag. So, um, my thought is he's, he, one of his, I think his goals and again, I could be wrong, uh, is that he wants to bring down or take down Hinduism as much as possible and mm. convert people to Christianity. Down yeah, yeah. Well, 
and 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 by so I actually responded to his um, Twitter yesterday. Just I didn't call him a name. You could look it up. Mm. I, my Twitter is at Ragman thirty six um, R A G H M A N thirty six. Look it up. I tweeted on his uh, uh, profile saying, "Look, it seems like your your mm. article on Tulsi is just guilt by association or guilt by demonization, uh, demon uh, demonization by association." You claim that you know she is anti-LGBTQ. Apparently, you know I'm saying if you're the same Peter that did this, mm. weren't you all the guy that wrote anti uh, on this blog? I said the blog name, and aren't you also homeschooled like you claim she was? Yeah. Uh, and and then and then I also said you you talk about her funding. Where's your funding? Who's your funding? Yeah. Disclose your funding. And then instantly I wrote that stuff. He blocks me. Right. <laughs> He's not. I mean, look. I'm, if I was mean, if I was rude, I called them a lame yeah. name. Do whatever you want with your Twitter account. Sure. But I think it's suspect when someone asks legit questions of you and you don't respond in a legit way and you just block someone, right? Yep. A legit question, like if someone asked me, for example, like, oh, you're Hindutva, Vadan, are you funded by Hindutva? Where's your money come from? I would be like, I have a full time job, man. Yeah. I make my money. I do this on the side. I'm not a Hindu. I will talk about it, right? Exactly. There's, I have nothing to hide, right? Like, this is not the court of law, so this is not about you like indi indicting yourself on self-incrimination. This is literally just saying, "Hey, tell me honestly, what what are your biases?" Just like when people yeah. write like papers, like academic papers, journalists, you kind of list. I am a fellow at the MacArthur Foundation, a conservative think tank. Where are you a fellow at? Who provides yeah. your what so are now your you credentials that makes you an analyst? Like if you have no credentials but you're an analyst, well then my grandma is a South Asia analyst too. Every Indian is a South Asian analyst. Yeah. You know, then I'm an you know, then I'm a European analyst because I went to <laughs> Europe. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. It's just like give me your exactly you said. What's your background? What's your history? What do you know about these things? So like mm -hmm. outside of going having a few interviews with the random people and be like, oh my god, this is terrible. Yeah. You know. Uh, like ill. Um, it, it, I just don't. It, it, yeah, like I, you know, at, 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 a, at a point, I don't even consider him to be the the real problem because, for me, he's the equivalent of a troll. That's that's what he is. The problem, real problem for me, is the people that give a troll like that legitimacy, like right. like a like a Rokhanna, for example. So that that's that's the real culprit in my eye. That guy is gonna do what he does because he's a troll. That's his job to right. to to do horrible things. Sure. Ro Khanna's job is not Ro Khanna's job is not that. Ro Khanna has been given a lot of trust by the Indian American community, a lot of money by the Indian American community right. in terms of like campaign funding and all of that. And um, he turns around and stabs them in the back yeah. by sharing a sharing a video like sharing an article like that, sharing an article by Khalistani supporters, sharing an article. But of a person who is supported by people who support terrorists who murdered innocent Sikhs and Hindus and family members of security forces. Yeah. Those are the those were the biggest casualty of the Khalistani terror movement. Right. Innocent Sikhs, innocent Hindus, and innocent family members of security forces. That's sure. who died the most. Those are the people that you're propping up. The sympathizers of those terrorists are who you're propping up by right. sharing this blatant propaganda because there is no other way to put it. It is propaganda. And right. as an elected official, shame on you 
for sharing this kind of propaganda and shame are you for stabbing the people in the back that voted for you and that supported your campaign. Those are the real culprits in my eyes. Well, I mean, I'll put it this way. I think, I mean, I find what he did to be idiotic. Um, and I think it was very ill-informed. I also come from a different perspective. I tend mm. to try to assign the best intentions I can. Like even to this guy, Peter Friedrich, I actually think he probably does think what he's doing is is exposing something evil or malicious and well, whatever it is. Going by that logic, even the ISIS people who behead people think they're doing no, the right thing, right? No, 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 no. Well, you get to a point, right? Like especially right, with people right. you don't know, right? Yeah. Like, it, like especially... And I, I'm not saying I kill someone. You're doing it for a good reason, right? right I'm not right. talking about. I'm talking about when you, when you, when you, when you have a conversation <laughs> or you put forth an idea or whatever. Mm. I, 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 at least try to first give you the benefit of the doubt until I can, until you show me otherwise. And yeah. look, and I think with Peter Friedrich, he has shown me otherwise, just with his non-willingness to engage or even yeah. explain his own background. It's, it's a mystery, right? I mean, like he disappears and whatever. Rokana, I give him benefit of doubt. I give him a very big benefit of the doubt because I don't think he knows any of this stuff. I know, I think, but is, shouldn't he? Shouldn't he, at the very least, know about this before before he shares it on his public platform? Well, he should. Isn't, I mean, doesn't he have that responsibility? You think he should as you know, an elected official? I he, I don't know if he has that responsibility, but he, he does. He should do it. Like I think fundamentally, like just from a perspective of if you're going to talk and write about something or or tweet about something. Maybe you should know better, but maybe it's not his fault or maybe it's campaign fault. I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So these are the questions that we have, right? You, we All of us have limited time in, in a day or whatever it is to be as good or knowledgeable about topics that we need to be, mm -hmm. right? Like, like for him, I, I imagine his day is pretty busy being congressman. He's sure. got a lot going on. Sure. And on top of it, liberals and in, liberal Indians in America – tend also not to read anything much about India outside of what they read in CNN, uh, C-SPAN, or I mean not yeah. C-SPAN, but MSNBC, whatever, right? They're not people that have spent a lot of, or maybe they read like, you know, uh, uh, Jump by Larry and, uh, you know, yeah. Roy and those those novels. But they, they, they don't really have a sense of reading things like about RSS or BJP or, or Congress Party or this or that. They don't know India as India, they know it mm. as India is a place where my parents came from. Let me talk about my experience as being a second generation or first generation Indian from India. I mean, they have these things, right? Not like so much of understanding it. So mm. their understanding of India many times is from their time they went to spend a few months here and there in India, right, right with their family and what they're taught here in this country. And then they're liberalized and they read right. the stuff online. So they tend to become very much um, whatever has been fed to me. That's the India. So I'm liberal. This must be wrong. I've seen on the news Muslims are being killed. This is happening. You know, uh, uh, the 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 people in India are killing human beings over cows. Blah 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 blah. They see this shit, this stuff, and they're like, oh, it must be the case that that this is true, right? I understand that logic. I understand why you got there. Now it behooves him to have done better. Yeah, it, but at the very least, it's it's deeply irresponsible. Yes, yeah, hundred percent. I think it's deeply responsible. I think especially when the, these people, you you put yourself out there as being this like this great Indian Hindu. I mean, I, I don't know actually if he said anything about Hinduism. In his I don't think he does. Yeah. In, so I'll put that aside. This Indianness, maybe you should know about the India that you want to engage with or talk about. Just yeah. a little. 
right? Like I get he's a, a Yale trained lawyer and, and all that stuff. But, you know, I'll say, frankly, most many lawyers I know are just fucking <laughs> like they're really good at being a lawyer and yeah. really shitty things. Right. Mm. Like most people are. Yeah, and it, it's the same thing with again Bernie. I mean, that's that's something that you know really soured me on the Democrats when somebody like Bernie comes out uh, to an Islamic students conference yeah. and he says that uh, you know if people are there's like bodies of dead people piling up outside of hospitals in Kashmir, which is a blatant lie. It is a blatant lie. The the government, you know, the the uh, administrative division of the hospitals are putting out you know regular updates that yeah. everything is fine we have all the medicine we need we have all the stuff we need nobody is dying we're taking care of people these are how many people came in today for you know you know these problems and we've taken care of all of these people so all of the reports that you're uh, showing us about um, you know people dying in hospitals right. bodies of dead people piling up in the hospitals all of these are patently untrue hear it from the horse's mouth so despite that when you completely ignore the hospitals and the information that they're putting out right. and you're going to an Iznacon conference on a global stage and you're saying, you know, Kashmir, uh, the Indian government is murdering innocent Kashmiris in these hospitals, you're, you're doing something, you know, you're doing something again, which is at minimum incredibly irresponsible. I agree with you. And it's, it's going to, in a country like America, it is going to create, it, it has the potential to create a significant amount of hostility towards Indian yeah. Americans. Yeah. No, I, 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 you're totally on point here. I, I, I think, again, the same in many ways. Bernie, and I, I'm a big fan of Bernie too. And this mm. was it was disappointing for me. I mean, so um, just because you know, but he's not a foreign policy guy anyway. In my head, yeah, and like, that's one of the things I think I'm like he's not a foreign policy guy. Maybe I'll, I'll chalk that up and 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 throw on the wayside. The, the cynical pie part of me likes to think that you know how is a Jew gonna get a standing ovation at an Islamic conference? This is how say that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, but, but but that's what I'm saying. It, it, this is the uh, it, it frustrates me because. I know he's better. He's better than he's capable of more nuance than what he said. Yeah. But I, I do think that part of the campaign, and this is what we talked about earlier, this this liberal need uh, in the U.S. and I think primarily U.S. I don't think any other part of the world has this issue. The West I don't know. Has it right? I don't know. Does. I mean, the Europe Europe does it too, right? No, I think Europe has a pretty what's good the need. Sorry, what what's the need you mean? No, I mean the 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 need to to make sure. That they don't cross the the line with Muslims, right? Yeah. On the whole, yeah, Europe has that. Really? Like, look at Britain today, mate. Yeah, yeah. Like the Labour Party bends over backwards to not offend the Muslims. Right. Backwards. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you can do that. You can do whatever you want, and that's yeah. fine if that's what you want to do. But I think my fear is that you're you again. I don't again. I, I don't think Muslim people are negative or have bad intentions. I think mm. once again they come from a perspective. When it comes to Kashmir, they have this sense that it's just like Palestine. It's, yeah. It must be just like Kashmir. It's just it's like the Umbah. Is the yeah, yeah, right. But I mean, the the problem is you can't see them. You won't see them talking about the way Islamic countries treat uh, non-Muslim people. But you do find Hindus like myself, yourself probably, and Kushal, Kushal, all three of us, if we saw 
something being done to Muslims or Christians that we thought was terrible. We'd say, hey, the government can't do this. Like if, if India passed a law today saying, you know what, like um, you can't convert anyone in India. Yeah. I'd be like, well, that's not a stupid law. That's a stupid yeah. law right there. Law, and that's totally targeting Christians. You should not be able to. Now, if you say you can't fraudly convert, I get it. You can do these these things that prevent. I mean, that's another thing we should talk about at some point. But or if you say something like, you know, a Muslim's. Muslims can't, I don't know, because they have all the rights there anyway. So, yeah, it, it's, you know, it, it, like it, you're talking about like critique of the government. And I've been saying something on my show for the past couple of weeks that it's been pissing us some of my view, viewers off where I've been saying that the gov the Indian government has a historical problem with communication. It doesn't yeah, communicate I, very well. Right. I, so. I am 100% behind their decision to remove Article 370. Most of the nation is, right? Yeah. Now, the problem I think that I find there is that now the now that the government has created this, you know, they, they've created this blackout and they had to do it initially to curb terror activity. Sure. I am behind that too. But now what the government needs to do, needs, now we're not in a should territory, now yeah. we need territory. Yeah, what the government needs to do now is come out with a plan and brief the international media of what their plan is for Kashmir because they were go they were supposed to have a business conference in Kashmir in November. Now it's been moved to next year. So when you're in a position where you've created the situation which most of the country supports you for and but but you're not providing any updates. You're not saying, okay, this is our plan for Kashmir. This is the day where we're going to lift these restrictions. And this is what we're going to do in Kashmir in 2020, 2021. This is our plan. So if you give the media a plan, then if the media concocts fake news, then you can be like, all right, you media, you're lying. Shame on you. But yeah. when you're not providing any information, when no. you're not providing any updates, when you're yeah. not providing any plans, what's that going to lead to? No, you're it's totally... going to lead to confusion. Yeah. It's going to lead to speculation, and it's going to lead to fake news and lies. Yeah. And that is what we're seeing right now. Yeah. You know, so the I, government I, needs to create like some sort of a press secretary position that comes out and briefs the media every day. That's I agree with you. No, I, I think you're a thousand percent on point here because I, I think all those points you just said are exactly right. India yeah. has terrible history of any sort of communication. Yeah. How do you not have a press secretary, by the way? That's just, <laughs> right. Like that just a country that big. Come on. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And, and on top of it, like, I think one of the things you brought up is the media blackout in the beginning, the requirement for the internet shutdown, everything. People don't understand why it happened. They think they just don't want, they want to block it off in the rest of the world. No, what they want to block it off is to deal with terrorism that happened last time that a, Something like this occurred. This is from this is from Times of India and Lok Sabha. There were over 400 terror attacks in 2018 in Kashmir. Yeah, so that's more than done, just one a day. All done online. Yeah. On on, how many terror attacks have there been since then? Right. Nothing. No, people people need to stop and think. Is what's more important, protection of life is for a short term? I'm not saying for months or years. Yeah. For a couple months to tell things calm down more. Is it more important to protect people's lives or is it more important to to give them free for all and let like innocent people left right and center die, right? Yeah. I, so I, I understand it. I understand and I, I can appreciate and at least go with with that blockade. I don't generally support any sort of uh, of blockage on free speech or the ability to, for people to communicate. Mm. I would not support it normally, but I understand this particular situation if they – given the – the nature of violence that occurs 
in that region, right? It makes sense. Now, Indian government could have conveyed that better, much right. better. They could have, they could have, their press secretary could be like, look, these things happen over these years. This will happen. We know that all this stuff happens because it comes via the internet and communication. We want to shut it down for X amount of time. They got to get a timeline, 60 yeah. days. Yeah. Letters can still go out. You know, they can, whatever, you know, like, We'll take it back to what it was 30 years ago when it was way tougher for people to commit terror attacks by letters, right? Yeah. Let's still, that way you can you can you send a message out where we actually have good faith. We're good faith trying to like resolve this, fix this problem, right? And the, and, and they don't even like, they don't even explain the full reasons yeah. of why they did what they did. Look, I have heard very few media outlets, if at all, even mention Article 370 yeah. and what it was all about. Right. All I hear is stripped Kashmir of autonomy. Stripped exactly. Kashmir of that's exactly. all I hear. Yeah. And, and 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 look, I totally get it. There is a group of people there that feel that they had the right to autonomy and they had a right to at least some level of decision making. I get it. Now, people can feel certain things. The question is, and I'm not an Indian lawyer, so I I mean you you spoke to I think Abhijitayar and a few other guys mm-hmm. about the, the legal process and how they effectuated 370 and how it was totally democratically done and legal and so on, right? So I trust that opinion. Um, you know, I, I don't really care to look into that, like <laughs> right. that, right? I can look at it very superficially and understand yeah. it, yeah. But I do think India and much of the people that that speak for India, and, and this is why you and Krishna do a great job of this, is you guys actually start laying down the reasons of why they're doing it, looking through the history and the background and the and everything that's going on historically in that region. Um, India needs to pick that up better. I mean, for God's sake, if if Trump has can e- even like, deal. Imagine with if Trump didn't have a press secretary. Yeah. Like it would be bedlam. It would be, and, and and Modi doesn't even say anything. You know, like he just keeps. Uh, but uh, the problem is also Modi is not someone that tends to delegate. And I think yeah. uh, uh, one of your guests before mentioned this. Uh, for, yeah, I, don't know I think Abhijit said it. Yeah, and and you could see it, right? There, there's this he, he, and I think rightfully so. Indian probably government for a long time is super corrupt and super ineffectual and heavily bureaucratic, and it take forever to get anything done. Yeah. Like if this was the the a delegated person to get 370 done or any of these other things done, they would never. It never happened and it, it stuck somewhere right at least yeah. you can appreciate the quickness in these things happening now delegation for a country of 1.3 billion is very very important yeah and that's what needs to be dealt with um so you also talked about uh the recently and i thought it was interesting um the young turks yeah uh you want to talk about that real quick because i think yeah, that was really- it, it was Man, you know, the, the, it was funny because the Young Turks, the, their whole premise when they started out as a channel was that we're here to speak truth to power. We're here to speak to the establishment and, you know, uh, uh, point the problems when the establishment does something wrong. And we're speak, we'll speak for those that don't have a voice and all of that yeah. good stuff. But now, essentially, what the Young Turks are doing is shilling for the establishment Democratic candidates. Like they've become what they set out to fight. Right. That's who they have become. Because if you and you might think that this is a very like, oh, that's a very emotionally charged claim. What proof do you have? Look at the video that they made about Tulsi Gabbard. Like it is a, it is insanity 
yeah. that an organization that is that well funded and has that many subscribers could not or did not do proper research because it is just full of lie after lie. It's not even like, okay, they misconstrued that fact. Like they they reported the fact, but they misconstrued it. It's not so, even that. They so just they do exactly? leave out fat pieces of information. What's that? What did they do exactly that that was? So what they were saying, with the, the premise of the video is that uh, Tosi is a far-right Hindu nationalist huh? because she has connections with uh, the far-right Hindu nationalist party of BJP and oh, RSS. Like Peter Fiedrichs. Yeah, essentially. Essentially that claim. And they, and so to answer the question, why are they far right? TYT said that, well, Modi carried out the 2002 um, Gujarat massacre yeah. and he dehumanizes Muslims in India on a consistent basis. And that's who Tulsi Gabbard supports. So Tulsi is also a far right nationalist. Now, if you look at the first claim that Modi carried out the 2002 riots, yeah. that was the charge that was leveled on him. But the Supreme Court of India and various special investigative teams that were set up by the Congress party. Remember, the Congress party yeah, is yeah. the rival party of Modi. Congress hates Modi. But so I, they set up special investigative teams. Yeah. And those special investigative teams exonerated Modi. And the and, Supreme Court of India yeah. exonerated Modi. And, and just so on this what point, are you basing that claim on? And just on this point, and then we'll get back, is hmm. they did this during the time where BJP had no freaking power. Right. So let's put this in the context of, of that. Right. Like, BG, like you said, Congress run uh, investigations. BJP had no power and they couldn't find anything. Look, Nothing. the entire fucking riot, both sides was ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Like the Hindus reaction to the burning of the of the the train. Terrible. But the Muslim, the Muslims that burnt that that trained terrible too right this is not a but situation she even, you, you know what she calls that like you said muslims burning that train yeah she called it in the video the young tucks call it they call it a tragic train fire yeah that's what it they wasn't. called it no it, it wasn't a train no. like it's like saying 9 11 was a building fire that's, <laughs> that's exactly right. what it is yeah no, that's right or, or like the time when you know the, the red fort was attacked oh that was a malfunction at the red yeah fort. exactly it's like yeah. saying that the paris attacks was like a gun malfunction no yeah. it wasn't it, this is look again. I I, I I I hate. I have to keep reiterating this. This is not a statement about all Muslims. Yeah. It's a group of Muslims that did that, and a group of Hindus that responded in heinous ways too. And then what happens is more Hindus got involved in tribal frenzy and started killing and doing crazy yeah. nonsense. And the only thing I think Modi and the problem is. People don't get India has a terrible law and order problem. Their their police are very ineffectual. They're I mean, if you look at a police guy, he's like he's a fat slob. Most of them are right. They're, they're it's, it's not because like that they're they want to be that way. Is yeah. they're not given training. They're not given equipment. They're not given like proper anything. Right. It's 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 really many times policemen bring their own things to do to do police work. Gujarat mm. was. The same. It was just he knew Modi knew at that time. Maybe he knew, or maybe I don't know. Like, uh, let me let me put that out of the way. That one should know that the they probably nothing could have been done to control that. Let outside of like attacking people. Mm. Yeah, and so essentially what happened was that yeah. they didn't find anything, yeah. and he was exonerated. And uh, 
despite that. So Young Turks share a video from 2005, which is a New York Times headline, which basically says that the train fire was an accident. That was according to the Banerjee panel, which was set up by the Congress party on a fact-finding mission. And they found that the train fire was not caused by Muslims. It was a uh, accidental fire. But then when the Supreme, when the yeah. Gujarat High Court looked at that panel, then they said that this panel is completely, has malified intentions and it is a com- its findings are completely unconstitutional. So please disregard the findings of the Banerjee panel but the Young Turks do not mention that. Right. So the Young Turks are leaving out very, very key pieces of information to paint a very particular kind of picture. Right. They're clearly trying to portray Tulsi Gabbard as this crazy Muslim-hating, right-wing, far-right, Hindutva, crazy person right. by leaving out very important pieces of information. And that... And so they were uh, at the at the end. I remember the lady was saying that um, uh, you know bigots Anna. are gonna yeah Anna that bigots are gonna watch this video and they're gonna be like oh you're just trying to smear her. Do you know the literal definition of smear is to lie about someone in order to destroy their credibility. That right. is the literal definition of a smear. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're doing. What right. else do we call it? Right. No, I mean I saw the video and. Normally, I used I watch Young Turks and like uh, and and I was a little disappointed. I mean, I was angry. I was just it, it, but I, I stopped watching over the past few years, only given yeah. the fact that I I stopped to be honest watching any sort of media. I I, I, I like <laughs> probably a smart decision. And it just, I I read I read articles here and there from sources I, I like and yeah. from a variety of different sources because I'm utterly convinced now that. N- Media is not about presenting anything with even the veneer of objectivity. It is mm. now about putting forth a position that you inherently support. Like, for example, Young Turks. The reason they put out a video like that is because they're super left now, right? I mean, yeah. they're they're there's they're not willing to be critical about their own internal policies or politics, or whatever. It's not it's not a news channel. It's mm. a media. And I, th- yeah. I think we've lost news channels and we've all become media conglomerate companies. And I know sometimes I look about what we're doing and I, I think we are re- reacting to that, trying to put in another voice. But I hope over time that once we build up enough, uh, like you, whether you, myself or all of us do it, um, we get to a point where we, where we don't have to just be Hindu view, Hindu view, Hindu yeah. view, or Hindu view, where you can be balanced about it and actually bring in a lot more nuance and i think we do it because we do long-form conversations yeah. but we're also trying to bring out a point that's never brought out in public in the other way so we spend a lot more time talking about the point that maybe would temper the way other people think about it like like yeah. like just about like hindu nationalism itself or i mean i've spoken about it. like i'm not a hindu nationalist i don't yeah. i think Hindu is regressive i think it's abrahamic version of hinduism in some mm. sense uh politicized hinduism i'm not a fan of it but I understand it. I, I, I get it. But why are we calling it a far right thing? It's not yeah. the same. Like, let's be nuanced about it. We can say it's there's problems in it. Yeah, it doesn't treat it doesn't treat Muslims, Christians, or non Hindus 
any way the same level that any other nationalism treats other people in their country. That's the thing. Like if you if you just look, if if a British guy comes to you and say that I would like to keep my British culture alive in Britain, yeah, would you yeah. call him a far right nationalist? No. no. But if he says that I want to keep my British culture alive in Britain and kick out these Muslims, then yeah. he's a far right nationalist. Yes. There's a difference, right? Right. And Indian nationalism doesn't say anything about kicking anybody out. Exactly. Right. So like so. I don't agree with the idea of this in some sense, but I don't think you can compare Hindu nationalism with Western nationalism. And I think, and we have to be we have to be nuanced. We have to look deeply at things. We have to understand the ground realities of whatever's happening in India. Like, stop blaming constantly that every attack in in India is politically motivated. Half the time, it's a, it is a law and order problem. People yeah. don't. They, there's no. And 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 you're talking about. 1.3 billion people that have tribal, caste, religious, ethnic, linguistic identities, and they get very passionate about it, yeah. right? You know, this is not like in America where it's just one, you know, one like or maybe two or three max identities. This is multiple identities, and people are so attached to them, and they're so cut to the core. It, it, India is, in some ways, a, a tribal place. Yeah. We're all tribal. Like, imagine yeah. if, like, if these Antifa people were just walking around, you know, getting into these scuffles with people, and there was no police presence yeah. there. Like, yeah. innocent people would die all the time. I agree. You yeah. know, all the time. But it's just that the United States has figured out its law and order situation. Yeah. Like, the police are on point. So, <laughs> less people die in these stupid clashes. Whereas in India, you have, like, some people, you know... It, the 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 number of policemen per capita in India is just ridiculously low. So right. something break something happens, even if it's non-religiously motivated, something goes down. Yeah. Police takes half an hour to get there. By that time, somebody's died. Right. You know, there was this there was this huge hullabaloo in India over this case. I remember where they said that these Hindus, evil Hindus, lynched this Muslim man to death. And when the court actually did an inquiry into it, it turned out that two people just got into a fight over a train seat. Right. And the one guy threw the other guy out of a train and the other guy died. And so the right. media gave it a religious angle. And the problem was that there's just nobody there to break up the fight. So they right. just fought each other to death. No, so, you, you know, you're, this is, again, this goes back to your earlier point about communication and the way India, both as a state or as a nation mm. and as a people, fail to convey or communicate ideas, right? For example... Right. Recently, right, what happened? Uh, in Madhya Pradesh, two kids were found. They were killed because they defecated in public, lower caste community, right? Clearly, in, clearly, what the, the article was giving the tone of, like, Hinduism, it's mm. this caste Hindu thing, right? What happened when that one girl in Kerala was raped by 30, young girl, 30 men, yeah. right? And she, she was begging them, your God, Allah, uh, uh, you know, brother, don't. 30 Muslim men raped her. Did, we, did, 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 did that go to the news? And so what I'm, what I'm not saying is, what, what I'm not trying to say is we only need to give Muslim, uh, bad Muslim stuff there. No, what we're having today is everything bad about India is coming from the Hindu side yeah. and giving a tilt as if India is this Hindu crazy country that's, that is, that is oppressive to everyone else. No, it's not a Hindu crazy... The people are fucking crazy. It's not just it's not a Hindu thing. Like, yeah. like I don't think the Muslim guy raping the 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 girl has anything to do with Islam. I don't mm. think it is. I think it has everything to do with like a fucking terrible person. Mm. And just like the guys that killed 
uh, the two kids defecating in public, terrible people, mm. right? It's, it's, this is not like, but you give it this religious tinge, like you just say, and the entire perception changes. Yeah, and right? look, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, there couldn't have been a caste angle there, you know, because <laughs> caste is a very, very real thing in India right. still, particularly in my state where I come from, yeah. Bihar. Uh, caste is a still a very fractious issue. Like even 100%. today, it's a very fractious issue. So I'm not I'm not in any way, or both of us, I don't think are in any way saying that, you know, caste is not an issue anymore. It's gone. No. I think we've made a ton of progress on the caste issue. I think we're 50% of the way through, but we still have 50% of the way to traverse. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, it's not like it's not an issue, but every time something happens, the first claim the media makes before even any investigation has been done, so-and-so, yeah. immediately it's like, Hindu violence on Muslims, you yeah. know, even if there's no religious angle, nothing. Yeah, yeah. That's the first headline that comes out. So just happens saying, to be what are you trying Muslim. to do here, media? Yeah. What are you trying to do? Yeah, like, yeah. and this is the problem I think, again, the Western media doesn't get is sometimes Muslims and Hindus might be of the same caste and they're yeah. cool with each other, but yeah. they don't like another caste that might be entirely Hindu. The Hindus will not like that caste either. Right, and they'll and, and they'll do things to that other cat. That the, these relationships are so complex and layered. But on top of it, I think it is this again is media also tends to do like a Muslim kills a person kills a person, and if it happens to be a Muslim, yeah. or they'll just they, they have to put the identity of their exactly. religion in or the caste of the person because they want to create a narrative about this is due to X Y Z. Yep. Right. When you're like, okay, some cases you're totally right. There are cases, and probably a good amount of cases, in which caste violence or religious violence plays a role. But I think a lot of cases are not that. It's just yeah. fucking people being dicks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? Two people get into a fight in a bar. That I'm not gonna. You know, they don't ask each other. I'm are like, you hey, are you Hindu? Are you Hindu? You know, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Are you Hindu? Okay, I'm not gonna stab you. Are you Muslim? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's get into it. No, <laughs> if you're a Hindu, you can look at my girl. But if you're Muslim, you can't. No, come on. This is like the dumb crap. I think like like I, I think if you if if you sit down with a per person that writes that story and be like, where'd you come up with this? I the, this religious <laughs> angle. Well, he happened to be. I mean, I happen to be a man, and if I if I if I beat up or or or, or hit a woman with a car or whatever, did I attack her because I was a man? I mean, this is, you know, like in a car. I'm just saying this is this is the complete level. Silliness of is what it is. Yeah, it's just it's just complete. It's just completely stupid. And I think that's where the pushback needs to come from. And I and I'm happy that you know somebody like you is here, part of the Indian American community. You know part of that pushback because you're right you know we're right now we're in the pushback phase there's going to yeah. be a time in the future where hopefully we're in a phase where we're being we're able to look at both sides of the issue and we're viewed as casual observers rather than you know the the pushback brigade but uh, i think the indian indian american community also needs to become a little bit more vocal uh, because the quiet, the more quiet they are, the more people will walk all over them, as we're seeing with the Democrats right now. So, yeah. you know, the first generation Indian Americans that come to America, they're model immigrants in every way. You know, they right. assimilate into society, they work hard, sure. they're well-educated, all of that fun stuff. Uh, but a lot of them, at least what I've noticed since I've been here, is that a lot of them will go out of their way to not stand out. They yeah, will yeah, go yeah. out of their way. Yeah. to like hide their identity, not stand out in any way. And I think it's it's for them to, they need to now start understanding 
that like being who you are is not standing out. Right. Being who you are is just being who you are. So right. it's okay for you to be who you are. You you don't have to hide who you are to be scared that oh my god, I, I don't want to create any trouble. I think right, right. Indians need to start getting out of that mindset a little bit. Because oh, as long as there will be they're in that mindset, people are going to walk all over them. Yeah. You know, and and this is like it's great that you, I mean the work you're way more political than I am. That this is like Where did we leave off? I think we were. Uh, where were we? I feel like we were talking about. Um, oh yeah, Indian Indian Americans asserting themselves a little more. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're talking about uh, how they're like the minor minority in the back and. Yeah. 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 And so, I think we with the with the money that they have, with the resources that they have, and with the you know with the kind of. The, the prestige that they have in a way as well, because you, the, there's not a lot negative that you can say about the Indian American population in the United States. What are you going to, what are you going to say? They're too rich. They're too well-educated. What are you going to do? I guess you can. Yeah. <laughs> if you're, yeah. if you're a, board, a Bernie guy, you say that, right? They're not spreading the wealth around. I mean, um, which it, I mean, look, I think, this the next few years, hopefully, uh, the Indian American community uh, will start asserting themselves. Not only in like, I mean, we're well represented in the media. We are in movies and TVs and and even maybe even we're getting there. Yeah, um, but I think with diversity of perspective, we're not, yeah. and that's where I think the the bigger, more important issue is the diversity of. Skin color is, is great, but you know, mm. that's just a skin color. It's a pigmentation yeah. of my skin or what country that I was like born in. I, I, I think it's much more important to have the diversity of ideas out yeah. there uh, and to talk about things that I don't know, like within the Indian tradition, culture, background, history, whatever, we can bring to the table and, and add value to what mm. the US is already doing. And fill the gaps in what we're, maybe they're not doing so well. Yeah. No, just with the, with new ideas. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And you know, it's all well and good uh, going to Howdy Modi and you yeah. know filling up the stadium and cheering and shouting. That's all well and good. Uh, but at the end of the day, you you have to speak up for yourself in America. Modi's not going to come and wipe away the tears every time. Well, I don't you know, know if it was all well and good, by the way. I, I hate the Indian cheesy, like, oh, put my kid yeah. up. I, I can't. I can't. I, yeah, I can't. The cringe is too strong. It's so bad. Like, I, I can't live with Indian it. cringe. And I'm just like, you know, not all your kids are talented in every way, guys. <laughs> like... They're they're good at spelling bee, but they suck at dancing. Don't put yeah. them on dancing over there. Like just yeah. like you know, come back. You know, it's. But this is the sense I think. Like, and and this is uh, just my Indians. Indian parents feel the need that their kids need to be recognized for being like like brilliant or so talented. And I'm like, uh, you know, do you need to be any of that? Just be be you. you know? Like you don't need to go out and like be super awesome. Just yeah. be awesome on your own. There's yeah. no need. To us as parents, I mean, I'm not a parent, but like to put your kid on the stage and, and 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 just for that purpose. I mean, they could have done a much better show. And in fact, the entire thing was like, you know, look, Howdy Modi was an Indian thing, wasn't a Hindu thing. So that's fine. Mm, mm. So uh, so they had Bollywood and all that stuff. Um, 
And it, it, it is what it is. I just couldn't watch it. I'm like, yeah, you know. I, I, I couldn't watch the whole thing too. It was, it was, yeah, the cringe was too strong for me. But Indians, you know, other Indians seem to really enjoy cringe. So yeah. good for them. Yeah. But uh, it was a power play. Essentially by Modi, it was a power play. It was to show Trump, look at the support I have. Look at the crowds I can gather. And a lot of these people, I can get them to vote for you. Now, that, this is my family, right? Well, meet my family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what it was. That's what it was. Like, meet my family, and my family can vote for you if you, you know, play your cards right. And so, he, Modi, did his part. He came here and he showed Trump that there's this community of people that a lot of people know about, but they don't really know about. So, here they are. And, uh, you know, if you play your cards right, this community will vote for you. Now, what the Democrats are doing right now, at the very least, what the Democrats are doing is they're going out of their way to alienate the Indian American community. They're going out of their way, I would say, right now, in this yeah. moment in time. Uh, they're going out of their way to... Now, it is up to the Indian American community how they react to it. Do you want to just get walked over by the Democrats? Or do you want to show the Democrats that shitting on us has consequences? Like, are you going to, you know, that that's up to the Indian American community. Modi can't do that now. The Indian well, Americans need to be like, look, we like you Democrats, but if all you're going to do is shit on us in order to get the Muslim vote, all right, we'll go somewhere else. Well, I mean, Indian American, you could be Indian and, and Muslim, right? Uh, sure, Hassad, sure. Hassad, uh, Minaj. But, I, ooh, but ooh. I, I, fail to, I fail to believe that every single Indian American, Muslim Indian American hates Hindus. No, I don't even think you know, most of them. Yeah. Like, so like, if, look. if if like if Democrats are coming out and just abusing Hindus left, right, and center, saying all these Hindus they're all far right, they're all crazy. Yeah. Then then I have faith that Muslim Indian Americans also feel that pain. That that's not true. Oh yeah, you know I have so many, a lot of friends that are Muslims here and in India, right? Like I lived yeah. in India for a couple of years recently, recently, and and they love india they love yeah. you know some of them like modi some of them don't i mean yeah. that's fine i mean who cares i mean those are all like some whatever i mean those are political things but mm. i don't think um even even muslim indians indian muslims and in, are just like indian hindus yeah. and we all have they all have a sense of love for india because it is their even, even hassad uh, i mean hassan has a love for india although i have to say like his, I mean, his comedy special was way better than yeah. his show when it comes to the stuff about being Indian is, right? Because one of the problems, I mean, and you guys made a point about him on the last show with uh, Abhijit uh, Mitra yeah. Ayer. Hassan, Hassan's entire show is about shitting on things, yeah. right? And so there's not anything he talks about in a positive way. Right? Well, that, I don't know. It, it is strange because, like, he, he talks about, like, other communities in a very positive way. Like, he talks about, like, Latinos and like oh, he doesn't have a show about I know in like a but the show's called the Patriot Act the show's not called the Indian Act or you know what I mean yeah. so he's talking about like American issues but he had this segment I don't know if you watched it but he had this segment on the show where he was talking about like how some Asian Asian groups have uh, are campaigning against Harvard yeah, about yeah, their yeah. admissions policy yeah and one of the last lines in that segment was something that really stuck with me he said that if you're an Asian and if you do not stand aside to let the Mexicans and the you know and the black people of this country get into Harvard, then you're a bad Asian. And I'm like, how dare you, man? Like, I, I'm not in Harvard. I don't have the brains to get into Harvard, but a lot of Asians do. 
Yeah. And they work their absolute asses off to get into Harvard. It's not a joke for an Asian to get it. It's not like a Harvard is born and is like, oh, I'm just going to go get into Harvard. Right. You have to study your absolutely absolute tits off to get into Harvard. Yeah. So these Asian Americans work hard, get into Harvard, and then who the hell gives you the authority to tell them to step aside? Otherwise, right. they're a bad Asian. Right. No, he doesn't have the authority. Like, I, I mean, no one should tell. Look, I... My views on affirmative action are a little more nuanced. I do think the African-American community on the whole, just given its history, should have more affirmative action sure. than other people. Like Latinos, maybe. I don't know anymore with the Latino population, the size it's growing. Is yeah. it still makes sense when you're almost 50% of the entire United States to have affirmative action for Latinos? I don't know. Um, with Asians and Indians, no, I don't think affirmative action really works for us anyway. Yeah. works against us, right? You know, for a large part. Yeah, they'll take um, care of themselves. Yeah, I mean, we're fine. I, yeah. I Like, just not because we're, like, inherently smarter. It's just because the people that came to this country yeah. came with a different work ethic and different. It's hard. It's much harder if you're an Indian or, or some sort of Asian to come to the U.S. than mm. it is if you're Hispanic to come through. Um, yeah. Either because you're already here since mm. the you know, white guys took over your land, you know, <laughs> yeah. years ago, or because you came up through for other reasons, right? Yeah. So it's much easier that way than it is to come across the ocean and and in terms of visas and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah, for right? sure. It's a sure. different way. So for us, we just our generations and are not our, my generation, but my parents' generation came because they had something to bring to the country that the U.S. government wanted at the time. Mm. And because of that, they were able to do decently well for themselves as a community. And then so we got the benefit of that, you know, and yeah, and so we're not going to have an issue with it. Maybe in like 50 years we would because naturally there will be a few of us are more wealthy mm. and that won't be, and then there will be issues there. But I don't, I think you're right. I think uh, for me, only only legitimate basis for any sort of affirmative action is poverty mm. uh, and and I think for a little while longer not forever affirmative action for African American people yeah. yeah no I feel you there I feel you uh, that, that's how I feel about you know the scheduled caste and scheduled tribes in India because uh, there's a very strong argument in India among you know people on the non-left where they say what do we need uh, affirmative action for the SCs and the STs for anymore and I think if you, you know, if, if you go outside into the country, if you travel around in India, there are still places. And yeah. again, we've made a ton of progress, but there are still places where those people are not treated fairly. And so till we have gotten rid of that malaise, at least 80% of that malaise from our society, I think they still need a little bit of a helping hand. And I think so, it is our duty to give them that helping hand. As 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 our as you know as our co-travelers in yeah. our civilizational journey, there are co-travelers. Yeah. So when when they've they have been pushed aside for a little while, I think it is our duty to give them a helping hand. Again, temporarily. Yeah. Till we're up to that point where we've gotten rid of eighty percent of that disease. Right. I think we should give them a helping hand. I think we're at about fifty to sixty percent right now. Right. I mean, and and obviously, I think that it has to be poverty plus something, right? Yeah. It, you know, it can't be just the thing itself, like inherently. Yeah. They have right. to have, like, because, you know, people have, you might be African, you might be African American, black, I mean, uh, white, whatever, and have money. Money is a power. Like, your kids are more likely to have gone to better schools, more yeah. opportunities. And this is really about giving opportunities to people that would not historically have those opportunities. Yeah, right? you're right. Yeah. yeah. So that's how we have to address it. So I think that's a, 
you know, that's a fair point. I think, um, you know, it's a great conversation, Sean. I mean, like, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time out. And, you know, we we should do this more and maybe try to get, like, for sure, man. Yeah. all involved and have, like, a three-way. With yeah, two, we had three of us. We can, we can go for ages. Yeah, like uh, two Indians and an American, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then, uh, um, yeah, it'd be great. You know, uh, thanks for jumping on. If is there anything else do you think we should talk about, or we have something else to say for next time? Yeah, no, yeah, we we can save it for next time. I just wanted to thank you for having me on, man. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, I love it. Um, all right, excellent, Sean. Uh, well, thank you for your time, and uh, we'll link up again soon. Um, sure. And we have some ideas to do some uh, other stuff that we could do together too. Yeah, yeah, I'd love that. Awesome, man. Take care, dude. Have a great day. All right, man. Thank you. You as well. Good chat.